let's jump into the message. I'm going to read from Mark 1 through 12, and then we'll pray and we'll dive right in. Mark 12, 1 through 12 is the parable of the tenants, and I'll read. And he began to speak to them in parables. And a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get them from, get them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and they beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and they killed and him they killed. And so many, and so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against the son, against them. So they left him and went away. So what I want us to be thinking through today is rejection. How many people look forward to being rejected? Rejection is one of the toughest experiences you will ever go through in your life. None of us want to experience rejection. Some of us put up walls and act real nasty. And we say, just because I am who I am. And I'm real. I'm so real, no one likes me. All right, you love those people. I'm real. I tell it how it is, and they're just sitting home alone. Everyone's mad at them. Some of us put up those walls because we actually become angry and do those because we put it in a place where people reject us. We won't even give them the opportunity to reject us because we're going to be so nasty and so mean and unfriendly at first, so we won't let people into our life. Some of us, people just look at us, and we look nasty, right? We got that Lynn, mauled and Saugus look where it's just like, you know what you got. Walking through the gym like, don't even talk to me right now. We put on this mask. We put on this hard veneer. It's like, I cannot be broken. We put on that veneer so we won't be rejected. If you have a small amount of friends, it might be because you haven't made yourself vulnerable. And Because to connect with someone, to have a relationship, you have to be vulnerable. You know what? They have to see your weaknesses. They have to see your frailties. They have to see you're not perfect. They have to see that you do stupid and goofy things sometimes. They have to see that you're mean sometimes. That's real friendship. But some of us put up the veneer, we put up all those things, and we never want to be rejected. Therefore, we never get to enjoy true intimacy, true friends, and true community. But there's a rejection that comes with being a Christian. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to understand your leader, you will become like him. Whoever you follow, you become like him. And who is our ultimate leader? Jesus. And there was no one more rejected than Jesus. Look at the final chapter of his life. What did they do to him? They murdered him. They ultimately rejected him. Now, some of us are rejected for good reason. Some of us are annoying. Some of us are mean. Some of us are nasty. Some of us are rude. So we, sometimes we should be rejected. 
Now, some of us have experienced rejection because other people are nasty and rejected us. And we've gone through things. And, and actually, at times, we've been a victim of rejection. So I want to have a heart for that. But one of the most important parts of your spiritual life as a follower of Jesus is that you have to expect rejection and actually want rejection so you can know Christ better, identify with his sufferings, and understand what it means to follow Jesus. What did Jesus say in his first sermon? He said, Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness' sake, for yours is the kingdom of God. You can translate that to, Blessed are those who are rejected for my sake, because yours is the kingdom of God. I really want you to ask yourself, if you haven't experienced any rejection, you haven't been ostracized at all, For your faith, I want to ask you if you're actually hiding. Are you hiding what you believe in who you are? Jesus didn't hide. He put it all out there for us. So his ultimate rejection would become our ultimate acceptance. You know, I was talking to someone at the basketball tournament that we did a few weeks ago. And they were, I asked about someone that's going through some hard times. And they said, why don't you call them? And I said, ah, man, I... I don't know if they'll listen to me. I don't want them to feel like I'm pastoring them. I don't want them to be like, come on now. I know why you're calling. I don't want rejection, I was ultimately saying. And this person said to me, they said, that's a major part of your ministry, isn't it? I said, it is. And that's something God's been teaching me as a pastor. And I want God to teach us all as followers of Jesus that a major part of your spiritual life is rejection. That actually more people that you share the gospel with try to love More people will reject you than accept Jesus. And that's okay. Because you have to understand they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. Because Jesus was perfect. Perfect. Perfect in motive. Never sinned. Never had an ulterior motive. None of that. And they rejected him. How much more they will reject us who actually have ulterior motives, who struggle with sin, but try to share a pure gospel. You need to understand the truth in that. We are not above our master, Jesus said. You're not above your master. You're not going to coast through life without rejection. Now, this is tough. I know some of us have experienced great rejection. Listen, my father left me when I was young. It took me, I think, 33 years to finally overcome the fear of rejection because it paralyzed me. I was such a people pleaser that I I couldn't function sometimes. I'd go home, I'd worry, what do they think? Do they still like me? This and that. I was paralyzed because in the first chapter of my life, my father rejected me. And there's no bigger rejection than when your parent rejects you. True? Some of you have experienced that. And so it set me up. Where it was such a rough road where all of a sudden I'm a Christian pastor and a follower of Jesus and I have to learn what it means to be rejected regularly. A big part of my life is sitting down with people and sharing the word of God and them saying, I want none of it. And that's okay. Because they did that to Jesus. And that's what I want you to hear today. It actually feels good to be rejected once in a while. Get to that place where you rejoice in it. You know, someone, a friend was telling me a story. I, I know all his friends and he started, he was baptized here, started coming to church, all these kind of things. They were all young bucks, still high-fiving each other in their 30s, think they're cool, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? And so he went out with a few of them. And um, they were getting on him because he started to go to church. They saw he was baptized. Like, what are you doing, man? And they were making fun of me and all these kind of things. And five years ago, that would have bothered me. I would have been like, what the? They don't know. They don't know me. 
But I was like, that is awesome. I'm finally doing something right. Where people are making fun of me and mocking me and persecuting me because I'm that all out for Jesus. We have to ask ourselves some questions. If no one's talking about it, you might be in hiding. You might be undercover. There is a joy and satisfaction that can only be found in being rejected for the name of Jesus. Don't live your life without experiencing it. It's a deep spiritual joy that can only be attained when people mock you, persecute you, and reject you. Then you will start to know your Jesus on a different level. Amen? Well, we're going to start here. I want to give some people context for this parable because it's important to understand. I'm going to give you a rough... I want you to start your worldview to be dictated by the Bible because as Christians, we understand that to be reality, that God created the earth. He created it perfect in every way. He created man and woman in his image to be in perfect relationship with him. He created the decision for them There was a temptation in the garden where they said, you cannot eat of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. For their good, he said, don't eat of this tree. Now, they were in perfect relationship. God gave them everything that was good. They were sinless. They enjoyed God every day. No colds. No, I'm sure it wasn't this hot. But man chose. He said it wasn't enough to just be in worship of God. A child of God, man and woman, wanted to be God himself. They wanted to be the ones that passed down ultimate knowledge. They wanted to be the ones who made decision what is wrong and right for their life. They wanted to be the ultimate executors of justice. They wanted to be the one that had knowledge like God, just like Satan. So they chose and they felt the temptation of Satan. And what happened after that? The relationship was broken between God and man. And from that moment, you see in Genesis 3.15, God says, I am going to send someone who's going to crush the head of Satan and is going to bring reconciliation. That was a prophetic utterance that a Messiah would come. But all of a sudden, sin entered the world. And we see sin and its consequences every day, don't we? We see war, we see disease, we see death. We see horrible things because sin entered the world. But God, because he's rich in mercy and rich in compassion, he said, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up for my glory and for my children. So he decides, he keeps relationship. You see through the generations. Some of you heard of Noah and the ark and all these generations. He keeps choosing people that will carry on a line of worshipers that will worship the one true God till finally he comes to Abraham. And if you hadn't heard of Abraham, you're hearing of him today. Abraham is considered the father of the faith. He calls Abraham and says, Abraham, not because anything good in Abraham, He chooses Abraham and says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. If you look at the stars, your descendants are going to be more than the stars. And the deliverer is going to come out of your line. You'll be a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And I will be a God in a unique way. I will protect you. I will love you. I will reveal myself to all your descendants. You will be my covenant and chosen people. Those people were the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. So when you read your Old Testament... That's all the story of God's people, God's chosen people. Now, what will blow your mind? And I always say this, but I want us to hear this. People think you go to the Bible and you just read a story of good people. Well, that guy was awesome. Look at his prayer life. Amazing. You read that Old Testament, you say, are you kidding me? These people are so messed up and jacked up. I can't believe, like not the people outside the covenant people of God. 
Not the people who claim to worship God. The people of God were so messed up. If you read through Kings, they were killing each other. If I keep going, some of it seems NC-17. I can't even share it in here. It was so messed up that God kept revealing himself, kept showing mercy. Like when you think of the story of Moses, all of us watch the Ten Commandments around Christmas, right? Charlton Heston is still the best. I don't care what anyone says. When you watch the Ten Commandments, what do the people of God do? They were just delivered from slavery, 400 years of slavery. Delivered. They see a sea open. Everyone says, man, if the ocean, you know, if I'm down in the hot beach and that opens up and the whole church walks through it, I will always believe. I will never complain again, I swear. They saw like pillars of fire. They saw a place called down. They saw mighty wonders. They get, they crossed the Red Sea. Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. What's everyone doing down below? They're worshiping other gods. They make a golden calf. They're worshiped in all kinds of immorality. That's the human depravity. That's total depravity. That pattern is all through the Old Testament. So God would say, my people are a mess. It was his gold. If you look in Isaiah 5 and all through the Old Testament, he called his people his vineyard. This is important to understand the parable. He said, my people are my vineyard. I'm looking for the fruit of worship. They worship him alone and the fruit of righteousness. They will be light to the nations. They will be holy. They will be set apart. But you read this whole Old Testament, they kept going after wickedness, going after idols, going after immorality. And God, because he's loving and kind, he keeps saying, okay, I'm going to send a messenger. I'm going to send a prophet like this parable says. Do you know how the people responded to the prophets? They beat them. They stoned them. They killed him. It would be like we were a church. We're, we're trying to live like Jesus, trying to be like God. We're all living in immorality. God sends them to come in here and say, stop living in sin. Now, we all know we're living in sin. But instead of repenting, what we do? We beat them down and throw them on the curve. Every time, almost every time a prophet went to the people of God, they rejected him. The kings, the priests, the leaders. Isaiah, who we just read out of to start, they sawed him in half. A prophet of God. Not people outside the covenant people of God. The people who claimed to worship the one and only God. A prophet came, they didn't like what he said, and they sawed him in half. Jeremiah, what they do to him? Jeremiah said, it was so bad as a prophet for Jeremiah, he said, curse the day I was born. He said, curse my mother's moon. I was born to suffer because I was born to be a prophet. They stoned him. They put him in stocks and they persecuted him. And it goes on and on. Amos, they killed. And all of them through, you read all the prophets. They rejected him. And that's what Jesus rejected them. That's what Jesus is saying. I kept sending my prophets to you. Now, you got to understand, when God speaks prophetically to you, when you hear the word of God and something's challenged in your life, God's calling you holiness and change, he's doing that out of love. Because he loves you. And he doesn't want that to plague you. He doesn't want that to hurt you. He doesn't want that to break you. He doesn't want that to separate you from God. So he's sending all these prophets so his people repent, which is a gift, and turn back to him and become that fruitful vineyard and capture that vision of God and worship him alone and come alight to the nations. But instead of them hearing the word of God, hearing the prophets, they would beat them, they would kill them, they would reject them, and they would mock them. He comes to, it's God's vineyard. He says, I'm coming to my vineyard that I made, that I set up, that I preordained. And you guys are throwing me out and using it for yourself. You know, we know there's something morally wrong when someone uses our property wrong or uses our money wrong. Can I get an amen? I one day, I pulled up 
I was with one of my apprentices when I had my own electrical job. And we pulled up to like a 7-Eleven and it had these like tortilla things that were on point. Like you pay a dollar, you get like three tortillas and you get chips and a Coke. He had no money. I said, here's money. Why don't you go buy me and you those tortillas? Come back out here. We're enjoying for lunch. I'm feeling good. I'm like, I'm helping the cause. I'm helping people. You know how I do. He goes in 7-Eleven. He comes out, begins eating a tortilla in front of me. Potato chips, Coke, and I think he bought a paddock of cigarettes. And I look at him and I said, where's my tortilla, dog? He said, oh, there wasn't enough money. Wasn't enough money? That was my money I gave you to buy us lunch. You just bought yourself stuff? We see that that lacks morality, that lacks holiness. Now amplify that times a thousand. I'm violated because of tortillas. And throw that into a perfectly holy God that saves the people, does miraculous things, wonders, reveals love, all these kind of things. And he's coming to receive the fruit that is his, the fruit of worship as the one and only God, the fruit of righteousness. And they're beating down all of his messengers. So as it says in this parable, you would think that, okay, maybe there was a misunderstanding. Maybe they didn't know that they were prophets of God. Maybe they said they weren't prophets. Maybe there could have been a misunderstanding. But they definitely will know if I send my own son. They'll know it's on my authority if I send my own son. And what happens? See, Jesus hasn't been crucified yet. But what he's doing, he's prophesying to the religious leaders at the time of what is going to happen. He's exposing their hearts. It's a parable of judgment. See, there's parables of mercy, parables of grace, parables of forgiveness. This is actually a parable of judgment. He's actually proclaiming, giving a worldview of what the people have done over thousands of years and what the Pharisees are doing at that time. See, the religious leaders, he left the vineyard so they could tend it. The religious leaders are not supposed to be bringing people to themselves. You should not think that I'm glorious when I preach. You should think that Jesus is glorious. And what happened with the Pharisees is they created ministry. They used their title. They used their position to create an atmosphere where they were self-glorified. Where we went down the street and everyone was like, Father, Rabbi, come on, now you're the best. Every time they came in, there was a golden throne they could sit on. Every time they prayed, they blew with trumpets. They created a kingdom of self-glory so there was no fruit for God. There was no fruit of worship. There was no fruit of righteousness. Actually, everyone became hypocrites because they were teaching a surface religion. And Jesus said, I left this vineyard to you. And this is what you've done with my vineyard. I send my prophets and you kill them. And I thought it would be right. You would get it when... He's basically saying when I came, he's, compla- he's uh, proclaimed himself the son of God. He's, it's a messianic prophecy right here. He's basically saying, I'm the son of God. And the text before, the challenge their authority is saying, what authority do you have? And he's saying, I have authority because I'm the son of God. I'm here to save you. And they wanted to kill him. Parable of judgment. And Jesus says, this is what I'm, what's going to happen. I'm going to destroy the tenants of the vineyard. I'm going to destroy you guys. And I'm going to give it to others. So now, just the covenant people of God, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, they were God's covenant people. God now says he's opened up the covenant to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Does everyone know what a Gentile is? I don't want to just think everyone knows. A Gentile is anyone outside that was not a Jewish person. 
The covenant is now open to everyone. I don't care who you are. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation. You can be part of this vineyard now. And I'm giving this vineyard new leaders. Now you got to understand, these guys were pompous. These Pharisees were pompous. They were geared up with the biggest prayer, whatever they call them, tansels, tassels, what are those called? I don't even know. I shouldn't have thrown that in. It wasn't in there. But they had just these prayer shawls where you looked at them and you said, they're the most religious righteous people. They were so self-righteous. And look who God made the new leaders of the church. Where does God go to get his new team of leaders for the church? This is awesome. He goes down to the fishing docks. Who's going down to Gloucester on the docks to find the new team to build the church of Christ? You seen those guys? Beards? Nice. Just rugged dudes. Just pulling out fish. Just yelling at each other. He goes down there to get his new leaders. You know how much this must have upset the Pharisees? These guys were like, I have every degree in the book. I am so holy. I deserve this title. Jesus goes down to the docks and he calls Peter. Peter was rugged. They tried to take Jesus. Peter took out a sword and cut off an ear. Jesus was like, come on, Peter. We don't roll like that. You don't cut off their ears. I'm going to die for them. You're taking our swords. When those leaders looked at Peter, they must have been like, that's the guy that took my place. That fisherman is now the rock, a rock of the church. How about Matthew? Jesus goes down. You know who everyone hated the most? You might hate him too. Tax collectors. Matthew was a tax collector. Jesus says, I'm getting new leaders. I'm giving this vineyard to someone else. He goes to Matthew, who everyone despised. He's taking the taxes. He's taking some off the top. He said, Matthew, I'm calling you to be my disciple. You're going to be an apostle. You're going to write a gospel which we read from, inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know how much that must have aggravated the Pharisees? You're giving everything we work for to these lowly leaders? And finally, I think this might have got them more than anything. How about Paul? One of their own. One of their own who was fighting with them, who was persecuting and killing Christians, dragging families out of the house. Jesus said, I have a plan for you, Paul. He started off as Saul. He changed his name and everything. It got serious. Saul runs into a risen Lord and he changes teams. You understand the Pharisees must want to kill him because he became one of the new leaders of this vineyard. Is that awesome? I love that our leaders are messed up. Because when you sin much and you realize that, you understand you've been forgiven much and you give your life for Jesus. Amen? When you realize, and you, everyone can attest to that, we're great, there's great sinners in here. There's not small sinners. You haven't sinned little, I haven't sinned little. We've sinned much. And God calls us into our house, into his house, to worship his name, and he uses us to change people. Thank the Lord every day that you can be used to change your life for the glory of God. That's the best privilege on earth. You know, I love... When someone's not taking care of a place and they get kicked out and someone comes in and treats it right. You know, I went on vacation to York Beach. Nightmare. The year before was the best trip of my life. Now, when we went the first year, you understand, I walked in, it was so clean. Just smelled fresh. They had blueberry muffins that we could take home, make our own muffins. It was just like, this is spectacular. I'm coming here for the rest of my life. So in my mind, I thought the same people were taking care of this house. I didn't know in the year in between, it became pet friendly. And I'm allergic to every animal on earth. We walked in, 
someone had brought in a black bear to stay with them for a week. <laughs> it was the biggest black-haired dog must have been living there for a week. Just clumps everywhere. I said, no, not my beautiful vision. In my mind, this is going to be restful. Now we got dog hair everywhere. They didn't sweep up, wipe down, clean those stuff all the couches. Phone calls started being made. Where's the cleaning crew? Get them back down here. That was the first mistake to call the cleaning crew down there. These guys showed up. I opened the door. I wanted to say, leave immediately. Leave immediately. They were so dirty. If you can't take care of yourself, you can't clean the house. They were so dirty. And God bless them. Like my brother-in-law says, I don't think they were cleaning company. I think they were three guys with a vacuum. And right away I said, there is trouble in paradise. So they start saying, well, <laughs> this is fantastic. They go, we weren't paid to do extreme cleaning. We do just regular cleaning. Like, I thought regular cleaning was getting all the dog hair up and white. That's not regular. That's extreme now? It's extreme to wipe up the dog hair? They started sweating so bad. And we're putting the sheets on my bed. I said, there's no way this is going to continue. I said, guys, I'll, thank you for everything you've done. I think we can take it from here. And when they left, I felt so relieved because my wife will clean a house like you wouldn't believe. And she started cleaning and my sister started cleaning and they started cleaning this house. And I was so glad because that house was such a mess. But Natalie just started throwing sheets in that washer. She started cleaning and I felt like when I lay my head down tonight, I'm going to sleep easy because someone who cared, who had the passion, who had the discipline, who had the heart, was going to take care of that. And that meant so much. A lot of other things happened on the vacation. You know, my brother-in-law burned off his beard. All these kind of things happened, but it was a clean vacation from there. But I say that all to say this. Jesus, the house of God was a mess. The religious leaders were hypocrites. They were self-glorifiers. And Jesus came and said, you're done. You're going to be judged. You're out. They're in. I'm providing grace. These leaders are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit because of the death, rejection, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, there's a beautiful thing in there that you read where it says, did anyone notice when I read Isaiah 53? It said, it pleased the Lord to crush him. No, it pleased God the Father to crush God the Son. Because he knew the redemption and the freedom it would bring to so many and the glory it would bring to Jesus. And he says this. Jesus was a Bible teacher. That's what everyone's got to realize. When he's preaching this parable, he's quoting from the Psalms. He's preaching the Bible. So Psalm 118, 22, 23 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And I want to ask you today, is the death of your Savior Jesus, the rejected Savior, is that the most marvelous thing in your eyes? Is it marvelous? Because every day we should wake up because we only have breath because of Jesus and say that is the most marvelous thing I've ever seen. Let me tell you why it's marvelous because that, that might seem odd to some. I've heard some people say, the gospel it says in the scriptures is foolishness to people who don't believe. So you're telling them Jesus died, he was pinned to a cross, he was murdered. They said that's, that's ridiculous, that's foolish. So the people who are perishing, the gospel is foolishness. But the people who realize it's the truth that God has redeemed you, it is the most beautiful sight that can ever be looked at. 
The fact that God's own son was pinned to a cross for you and me is the most marvelous sight to behold. Let me tell you why. Because he didn't have to do it. We're not entitled to have Jesus die for our sins. He chose to do that while we were still sinners. It was beautiful and marvelous because it's the only way that you and me could have been redeemed. There's no one else who could have lived a perfect life except for the Son of God. There's no one who could have overcome that temptation. There's no one who could have defeated Satan like that. There's no one who could have perfectly executed life like Jesus. That's why it's marvelous. It's marvelous because of what we deserve. We all deserve to be punished by God. But instead we're rewarded because of Jesus. We're rewarded about, we're rewarded with salvation. That's why it's marvelous. It's marvelous because it will not be only marvelous in your, your and my life. Maybe a short 70, 80, 90, 100 years. It will be marvelous for all eternity and people will glorify and worship a rejected Savior. It says, does everyone know what a cornerstone is? He said the cornerstone that the builder rejected had become the one that everything was built on. The cornerstone in ancient times, in this time, time of Jesus, you put that in first. It was the biggest stone. The whole, the whole church was built on that stone. The whole building rested on that stone. It was a reference point where every other piece that went into that stone helped build that church. So the builder threw it out. The people of God said, we don't want the stone. We're going to kill him. But God used his son to become the chief cornerstone to build his church. And now me and you have become stones in that building and are part of the household of God. The rejected stone became the key and pivotal piece. You know, when I was looking through this church, there's a lot of rejected furniture around here. A lot of it. And I said, I'm not spending money on my office. I'm finding old furniture and I'm putting it in there. And I found this old, scary desk. It was like up in the corner of the gym or something. I can't remember where it was, but I know it was discarded. It was dusty. People didn't even bother to use it. I put it as my first piece in my office. You know what everyone said? That's ugly, man. Why are you putting that in there? Go buy a desk. It looks like a judge's room, man. <laughs> looks like an interrogation office in there. I said, no, you guys don't have the vision, man. You don't see where I'm going. And I began to grab different pieces that no one wanted. Chairs. There was a pew that's been sitting in there since 1897. I said, can I put this pew in my office? And I put all these old pieces that everyone rejected in the church, and I made my office. And I'll tell you, 99% of people go in there and say, this Office is awesome. The reason I share that story is because our Savior was rejected and many of us have been rejected in this life. Many of us. You've experienced rejection. People have cast you off as nothing. Maybe it's your families. Maybe it's your friends. Whatever it is. People said you'll never amount to nothing. And God has called you to be part of His church. He has taken these rejected pieces and made this beautiful, wonderful church. We're all broken. We've all been rejected. But we're ultimately accepted by Jesus. Is that marvelous? That's my word for the day. Marvelous. The work of our Savior is marvelous. And he's called us into that. And that's the parable of the tenants I want you to hear today. So I want to ask you these three things in closing. This parable does not have to be a parable judgment for you or me. It's Jesus' appeal to say, don't reject my, don't reject me. It's God's appeal to say, don't reject my son. Christ died for you. That's the truth. That's the truth. Today, accept him. Today, put your faith in him. Don't reject him any longer. He's knocking at that door. It's time to open the door and follow Jesus. He'll give you the strength to follow. 
Please do that. God's calling you today through His Word. Secondly, Dave and I should have the fear of God in us because this whole parable is towards religious leaders, pastors, priests. See, what happens to pastors is we start thinking that God's people are our people. We start thinking that the church we serve is our church. We turn into Gollum of Lord of the Rings, my precious, and it just destroys us. This is a warning that just me and David just under shepherds to Jesus. We do our best to care for you. We do our best to guide you, pray for you, love you, be there for you. But we have to answer to God one day because you're God's vineyard. And we have to answer and say, were we fruitful? Did our people worship Jesus from a pure heart? Did our people walk in righteousness? Did our people become more like the Son of God? Did our people, when people looked at Him, were they lights in the darkness? So that's a serious thing. Because if we ever create a kingdom where you're glorifying us, we have failed in our life's purpose. And we have no fruit to enjoy in heaven. And we are not bring any fruit to God. One of our things, I know Dave feels the same. I want to give my life so when it ends, I can say, God, I gave everything. And these people are worshiping you with everything. And they're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But we're worshiping you the best we can. And finally, in closing, be willing to be rejected for Jesus. Some of you have been in hiding. Let people know you're a Christian. Let people know when they want you to walk in sinfulness, you're not walking in it anymore. When people celebrate sinfulness, say, I don't stand for that. I love you, but I don't stand for that. Be willing to be rejected for Jesus. Enjoy the fruit of that. Let's pray.